Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Football! Yeah. Football! Yeah. All right. And with that, we bring into the conversation our buddy Matthew Collar from uh, the TCL Performance Center, where the Vikings and are getting uh, prepared for Sunday's game against San Francisco. Uh, Collar, let's start with this. Your opus that you published this morning on 1500ESPN.com, which everyone should go and read, is about what? Uh, a bunch of formations. <laughs> I, hold on a second. Hold, wait, wait, just hold on. I, I love you. Football! Football! Yeah! Football! Football! Yeah! I just want to say this. You honestly told me this, and and it is 100% the God's truth. You have bunch formation guys. Uh, yeah. So uh, let me just rewind yep, go ahead. Um, and tell you the, the entire story here, because, yes, it is about bunch formations, but that doesn't exactly make people jump with joy to go to 1500ESPN.com. But let me explain that, you know, the whole off-season conversation – this year, it seemed was about RPOs because of the way that the Eagles used them to beat the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. And so we've gotten comments on RPOs from just about everybody who has any title in football, right? But, I mean, you know, with every team ready for RPOs, I kind of thought, you know, maybe the impact of them won't be quite what we expect it to be because we've talked about it so much. So I went looking for other things that might be offensive trends in the Los Angeles Rams who are the number one offense in the league last year in scoring they use these bunched formations where they put three guys close together in a formation three wide receivers they can throw a tight end a fullback whatever you want but you've seen them before it looks like a little triangle of players mm-hmm. they use them they use them way more than anybody else last year it was one of Sean McVay's clever little innovations, if you will, is to take something that had been around a little while since the early 90s with Joe Gibbs and his uh, Washington offense and to use it every other play. And so what I did was I I went and talked to the author of a book about bunch formations. Yes, there is a book about bunch formations. And also spent about 20 minutes just going all in on football with the the Vikings offensive coordinator, John DiFilippo. And the the real takeaway, Judd, is – not just that bunch formations are something to watch for this year, but it's also kind of a, about the mind of John D. Filippo. And if you're going to be an offensive coordinator these days, you can't just run your offense. 
you have to know all the offenses. You can't just say, oh, I'm a West Coast guy. I'm a air raid guy. I'm a run and shoot guy. Because all of those concepts have to be thrown into a, a big giant pot to choose from. And then you try to maximize the skills of your players. And the other thing that you'll come away with if you read this article is NFL players these days, pretty smart fellas, because they have to understand all these different tweaks to every single concept. And it's kind of mind blowing. So when, when the, the Rams started to incorporate uh, the bunch of formations more and more, uh, what was the ultimate result of, of the success with that formation in particular? Well, one of the things that bunch formations do for them, and I'm sure this is why Sean McVay wanted to use them so often, is it just makes it more difficult on the defense to cover in man coverage. So let's say you want Xavier Rhodes to shut down Robert Woods. Well, it's not that easy when they're putting three guys together and they can release off the line in any number of different ways because if you try to play straight-up man coverage, you'll probably get – the uh, not-so-illegal pick plays and things like that, right? Just just players all over. There's lots of traffic that it creates that, that makes it pretty difficult. And then also it just creates space, especially if you bring those three guys in close to the formation. Right. It creates a lot of space for, for them to work on. And, you know, what John Filippo said was it forces the defense to communicate, especially if you motion into it. So when you see all these guys running around like crazy before the snap, I mean, that's hard on the defense because then they have to communicate with each other how they're going to go and stop it. So there's all these sort of checks and there's different ways that defenses, I got Mike Zimmer to tell me that some of the different ways that defenses stop a bunch of formations and things like that. So, I mean, it really kind of tells you that, you know, that even the smallest details of football, if you're going to be involved in it, if you're going to be a coach at the highest level, you have to have this encyclopedic and philosophical knowledge of how every one of these things work. And, and that was my real takeaway that, you know, I just asked John D. Filippo, hey, what, you know, what do you think of bunch formations? And then he's, you know, he got a piece of paper out and he's drawing different defenses and stuff like that. So, right. I mean, it was a really, it was a really fun piece to work on, but it really takes you kind of inside that mind. What does Zim, what is Zim's reaction more and more when, when you ask him these intensive X's and O's? football questions because i mean head coaches are so used to being asked about what their quarterback things like expectations things like injuries does he uh embrace that stuff yeah i think he does i mean i think that for one this media at, at large i mean all, all of us not just myself but you know all, all the other guys on the beat and uh courtney as well of course um do a great job of trying to get away from the basic question i mean i think maybe it's just that a lot of us who are in media now grew up with a lot more information at our hands. And we know that you know, if your work's going to stand out, you, you want to kind of make it more detailed than just, Hey, is it Super Bowl or bust? Right. You know? I mean, so and plus we get bored as hell at camps, Judd. I mean, there's only so many times you can ask about Garrett Dooley's ability on special teams. So hey, it's important, uh, but to your question, huh? No, nothing. Keep going. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, to, your, to your question, you know, it's it's a day-to-day type of thing with Mike Zimmer. I mean, I, I think that he appreciates the effort and will give you really good answers. I remember I wrote about the West Coast offense last year, and he gave really great stuff about how things had changed with the West Coast. But there have been other times that, you know, things aren't going quite as well, and he's not in a great mood, and you could ask him the best football question of all time, and uh, you wouldn't get a great answer. So, you know, I, I think that 
the coaches that you do ask, though, and I know John DeFilippo said this to me and Kirk Cousins had said this to us after a press conference, that they do appreciate when you make the effort to understand what's really going on out there and sure. feel more apt to give you uh, information. Collar, what in your mind, uh, what storyline about this game intrigues you the most about Sunday's game? I think it's the, the, the minds of the coaches. I mean, I look at Kyle Shanahan as a complete genius. I mean, I, I think that he is one of the smartest offensive minds that exists on this earth. And what he did with Atlanta in 2016 was incredible. And then last year you see he you know has a terrible quarterback situation at first, but then they get Jimmy Garoppolo and they're undefeated after they get you know a halfway decent quarterback. So – you know, I, I mean, you see all sorts of different things. It, it's very Sean McVay-like with Kyle Shanahan with all the different play actions and things like that. They use their fullback, Judd, if you want to hit the football thing. Hold on a second. That. Wait, wait, hold on. All right. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Football! Fullback's borderline. I like it, but it's borderline. I, I like it more to hit that when you talk about things like gunners. That gets me more excited. No man, it's 2018. If you say if you start talking about how great the San Francisco fullback is, then like that's that's saw, football. And Mike, hey, I saw a question to Zim. I saw a question to Zim yesterday saying, "Is the fullback coming back in vogue?" Yeah, and it's not really. And his answer was interesting. And it was something that I didn't really think of. It's just that you can't find them. Like you know, a while back, it used to be you know, something that you know people wanted to do to be an NFL fullback and now like nobody wants to be an NFL fullback if you're that size you're probably something else you're probably a a pass rusher a linebacker uh if you're you know a really great athlete I I grew up watching Daryl Johnston clear the way Mm -hmm. Sam Gash and Lorenzo Neal I love those guys and I think that that's what's so interesting about someone like Kyle Shanahan is that you know, he dips from all these different sort of buckets. You know, they, they sign a fullback to a pretty big contract and people around the league go like, what? Uh, but then he uses the heck out of the guy. And, and the Vikings are doing uh, a similar thing with C.J. Ham, with, you know, using him in all sorts of different formations, throwing him the ball and handing him the ball and things like that. So it's like, you know, it's, it's just part of uh, Kyle Shanahan and all the different things that he can throw at this Vikings defense. And so I think that that's really it for me. It's, Jimmy Garoppolo playing on the road in U.S. Bank Stadium, which we know does not generally go well for an experienced quarterback. Right. The brilliant offensive mind of Kyle Shanahan. And, of course, Mike Zimmer, who I'm really interested to see the, the new wrinkles that he adds into this defense. Offensively, what, what is your best guess about what we're going to see uh, Sunday from the Vikings as far as differences in, in philosophy and uh, potential execution from last year? Yeah, that's something that I'm really interested in. Of course, um, you know, with John Filippo, he, in one way, it's a, it's a really good thing that he draws from all these different offenses. But, you know, in another way, Pat Shermer was the old-time West Coast, and then he just added these little things to it here and there. But everything was kind of like, that's Pat Shermer's style offense. But then he cleverly layered in little things and with DiFilippo, you know, he hasn't called plays since 2015, and that was in Cleveland. It didn't go so well. So how is he going to attack San Francisco? How is he going to do in his first game as a play caller? I know he was hard on himself about preseason play calling, which, you know, I mean, that just kind of tells you about the pressure these guys face that, you know, DiFilippo was hard on himself about preseason play calling. But, yep. um, you know, 
it's, it's, it's hard to know because, you know, we sit there and, and watch training camp all day long, and those are installing concepts, but they're not showing you all the different wrinkles that they're going to add throughout uh, this week to game plan for San Francisco. But I do have high expectations for the offense this week because I don't think San Francisco has a great defense. I think they have one great defensive player in DeForest Buckner who could ruin your game plan. But I also think that they're missing Reuben Foster, and that's going to hurt them a lot. He's one of the best linebackers in the league. Uh, their secondary is just okay. I mean, uh, Richard Sherman doesn't look like the player that he once was. So, you know, I, I think that this is an opportunity for the Vikings to have a, a good first day on offense. Help me out here, because I don't know if this is a positive thing or if it's uh, or if it's potentially not that good. When when Deep Filippo, as you just said, uh, comes out after a preseason game and criticizes himself and says, it's on me, I had a bad play calling game. And then we also talked about the fact that I think it was after the uh, third preseason game that Cousins came out with a list of faults of his from that game. Do we perceive that as being a good thing because they're being tough on themselves, or are they almost being too tough on themselves given the fact that we are talking about exhibition games? What do you think? The way I look... Yeah, the way I looked at that was these two guys need real games to happen. I mean, just okay. the, the the hype of this offseason and how much this team has been talked about. I mean, it's almost at any time you turn on NFL Network, you're going to see Super Bowl or bust for the Vikings. And, you know, as much as I don't think it's necessarily that because this roster is in great shape going forward for the next few years, it's still – like when you sign a quarterback for that much money and you went 13-3 last year, that's what everyone's going to be saying. And we've seen a number of teams in the past fall apart uh, when th- that type of pressure is on them. And mm-hmm. that's something that you know Kirk Cousins and John Filippo have never really dealt with before in the positions that they are. I mean, Filippo was an off or was a quarterbacks coach last year, which is you know really great to win the Super Bowl as a quarterbacks coach. Um, but it's not quite the same as being the offensive coordinator and having the play calling duties, you know, on on you when it's a Super Bowl team. So I, I think what those little events tell us is that these guys they feel it, like they know, right. they know exactly what's at stake here, and uh, the the pressure is real. And I I can't tell sometimes in a situation like that if the pressure is a positive thing that will fuel them and help them, or it gets to be a burdening thing. So. It's weird. It, it was just, I found it v- very intriguing that in a relatively short period of time, your OC and your QB came out and <laughs> came out post game and essentially said, I got a list of things I was terrible at. Yeah, I, I can't say the that. The cousin's list was really before. odd to me. The, the, yeah. Because he, like, he had a list. I, yeah, I've definitely never seen that before from a quarterback to, to go out there and tell you all the things that, that went wrong. Normally they sort of speak in, in generalities, but I think that cousins. Uh, Cousins is a guy that's always sort of showing you how much work goes into it and how much he cares. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that was part of it is to to kind of be like, I know that you guys are are gonna you know rip me apart for this preseason performance or whatever it might be or whatever. Or but here, you know, I, I'm aware of all these things and I'm gonna try to improve them. So I, you know, he's an interesting guy to follow around like on a day to day basis because. Um, you know, every time he comes out to the media, you get a bunch of different things. Sometimes you get uh, a little jab at Washington. Yesterday, he said the team I was previously with. <laughs> like, okay, you know, I mean, it's, oh, there's no like, bitterness there, Matthew. Uh-uh. Yeah, some, 
Yeah, sometimes you get uh, a little bit of that. Sometimes you see how incredibly intelligent he is with, with his football mind. Sometimes you see the the dedication that he has and the goofy, you know, sort of weird sense of humor. You know, so it's kind of funny that even though it's just these fifteen minute press conferences, uh, Kirk Cousins shows you a lot of Kirk Cousins, and, and you know that's not always the case with players who go up and stand at that podium. I think it's safe to say, and this is just from the outside, but I think it's safe to say that my observation at this point is Cousins is a definite thinker, big time. Keenum, I think, was a thinker, but I don't think I don't think he was cousins like here. I think cousins. I think he he mentally processes every single thing. Yeah, and if there was one thing that maybe gets in his way, it would probably be overthinking some of that stuff. Um, you know, the guy like you know he we're talking about his brain coach, right? Uh, Doogie had his brain coach yes. on the podcast, yes. and you know I've I, I've talked to. Uh, some sports psychologists, things like that. And it's really fascinating stuff. And it, I, it could be hugely, hugely helpful to athletes. And But it also kind of shows you what kind of guy Kirk Cousins is, that you know he's going to use every single thing possible to try and help him succeed. And there may be at times a little bit of that thinking too much about this game, even as complicated as it can be. But there you know, could be that sort of hesitation in his game sometimes that did not exist with Case Keenum. Now, he's much more talented than Case Keenum also. So mm-hmm. there, you know, there, there is that, and I think that helps him along. But the, the juxtaposition of both of them is interesting just because they're so different in, in the way that uh, they've succeeded in the past, the way that Keenum did last year with kind of you know, making it up as he went along sometimes when he got pressured to also floating balls into the secondary that you know, sometimes got picked and sometimes <laughs> didn't. You know, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see that quite as much from uh, you know, Kirk Cousins. So, you know, it, it is interesting that the quarterback they just moved on from is very different from Kirk. Hold on a second. Football! Football, yeah! Football! But we're not done yet. Hang on. Come back with more football with Zolgad and Collar after this. Matthew Collar, have I got a stat for you? When, I love stats. I know you do. When Kirk Cousins starts on Sunday against San Francisco at U.S. Bank Stadium, he will become the 17th different starting quarterback for this franchise in the Wilf era, which dates to 2005. And furthermore, he will become the 7th different starting quarterback uh, to start for Zim going into his 5th year. Here's my question off that stat. In your mind, have the Vikings finally found stability at the one position in which there have been a few times, not very many since 2005, where they thought that they had found it and it backfired or didn't work because a guy got hurt. Do you think this is finally the answer for the Vikings to have stability at a position at which they have tried so hard and struggled? Yeah, I guess there's probably two different questions there. Have they found their guy that is potentially going to be the quarterback for the next seven to ten years with the way that quarterbacks play until they're 40 now and Kirk Cousins takes care of his body um I I would say yeah they probably have that he's going to play for uh, the the three years of his contract and it wouldn't be a surprise at all if uh, they sign him to a new contract even after that depending on how things go down the road and where the franchise is uh you know it's hard to see that far in the future but at least for the next three years 
he is their guy, unquestioned, um, because of the contract that he has, the amount of guaranteed money they gave him. Uh, as far as whether he can actually win, that's the other question. And, and that, you know, that I don't know. I, I mean, you know, when you look at his sample size of those three years in Washington, there isn't a ton of winning, but it's also not anything that you would say was, was awful by any means, that he was 24-23-1 and one in those three years as a starter. You know, his win-loss record for his career gets brought up, but I mean, I really look at the last three years. So he's basically a 500 quarterback on a bad team and a bad franchise. So what does that mean about what he could do with a good team and a, and a good franchise? So, um, you know, I, I think that's what we're really going to find out this year about Kirk Cousins is whether he's the type of franchise quarterback that can actually win you something or if it's going to be, you know, maybe a, a situation like Matt Stafford where we all think he's good, but he yep. never really quite gets his, his team over the hump and that sort of thing. So I guess we're going to find that out with Cousins o- over the next uh, year plus, I guess. Okay, what's your best guess, though? If 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 you had to guess right now, and say because I think I think for, for the most part we all agree that this was the correct move that that the Vikings they could have brought Case back uh, and, and I think that they probably said well yeah but he, he had a great year there's probably going there's due to be some regression there so I think we for the most part agree that the move to Cousins is the right move but if you had to take a guess right now and say okay this is definitely going to be the right move not just for a better quarterback but a quarterback who can lead you to a Super Bowl do you think the answer is yes man it's just it's so hard to say when it's not Aaron Rodgers you know I mean it's this is a very good very talented quarterback who works about as hard as anybody possibly could uh, at his craft it's just when there are other quarterbacks in the league that are so good, like you know Drew Brees and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, if Seattle uh, gets their stuff together over the next few years, they're going to have Russell Wilson for a very long time, and I would project him to be good for a very long time. And that's it's just it's just going to be tough. So you know, I think that that's why they look at this window in his contract is if they're going to win, then they're going to do it. Uh, they're going to do it now when they have all this defensive talent and these two great wide receivers and, and stability at the coach and front office position. I, you would never bet anyone would win a Super Bowl. Like when you look at the odds from year to year, you wouldn't even bet that Aaron Rodgers will win a Super Bowl over the next three years. It's, it's just, it's, I don't know. I mean, it, it's very hard for me to say, yes, this is the guy that wins them the Super Bowl because almost always for every franchise, it's not. Um, but what, do I think that they will be really competitive over the next three years with Kirk Cousins? Uh, I, I think that they will be in that conversation every year, yes. The incredible thing is I, I pulled up uh, the NFC standings uh, today, so the teams right now, all right? And and I went through every team, and, and I started from this premise. Who is not a playoff team for sure? Like, who's just going to be bad? Tampa Bay for sure is going, in my opinion, to be bad. Uh Arizona's questionable. I actually think that they'll probably win, win about seven or eight games, but I think Seattle falls off at least in 2018. And other than that, everybody else I at least give a fighting chance to. Washington, I don't like them, but with Smith there now, I give them a fighting chance. Carolina, the Saints, the Falcons, certainly, right? Bears, Packers, Vikings for sure. Now, I don't like Detroit, but they do have a good quarterback. Cowboys, Giants, Eagles. So my point being is is going through this conference and saying, who do you think is going to be bad for sure? I come up with about two or three teams. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the uh, sick and unfortunate irony for Vikings fans is that you get this quarterback and you get this team and you know, you're stacked up and you go 13-3 and the year before, and then it's, well, wait, all these other NFC teams are in the same boat as thinking that you know they can potentially win the Super Bowl. I mean, how another way to look at it, Judd, might be how many markets did the writers, when they did their predictions, say that, hey, this team is – has Super Bowl expectations and, and stuff like that. I mean, you would probably get at least six or seven markets that think that their team should be in the Super Bowl, and that just tells you uh, how tough the NFC really is. And, and that's the thing. Like, well, When I look at this season, I, I think they could have a worse record but be a better team and actually get farther than they did last year, even if they go 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six mm-hmm. because the regular season is so hard. And, you know, The way I've started to look at this season, Judd, is that it will be decided on how they handle the bumps in the road, I think. that Because last year there weren't that many, aside from, you know, the quarterback goes down, but the backup does great. Delvin Cook goes down. But other than that, you know, the schedule wasn't as tough, and you just got on a winning streak, and and everybody was rolling. Where this year, I think there's going to be a lot of win two, lose two, you know, play, you know, players go down, deal with injuries, deal with drama, things like that. Yep. And it's going to be how Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer navigate all that that determines whether they're you know, a playoff team or on the outside looking in or the Super Bowl winner. And to go back to what you just said there, I think it comes down to mainly how do you handle the bumps and injuries on defense. I think, yeah. Zim, I think Zim looks at his offensive coordinator when guys get, get hurt on offense and says, you deal. You deal with it. And Shermer did a fantastic job. But let's say Harrison Smith gets hurt, or let's say Joseph gets hurt, or Barr gets hurt, and he's out for an, an extended time. I think that would be that would be very interesting to see if Zimmer's prized possession got picked apart to a certain degree, how he would deal with that bump. And one thing that they did that uh, they deserve credit for or have, I guess, been doing over a number of years here is finding players who can be those backups. And, and going to get George Iloco was huge for them. Uh, you know, Julio Johnson's a guy they drafted in the fourth round, but then has a, you know, two straight good preseasons. Looks like he has potential. Uh, you know, the, the two defensive ends, it tells you how good they were, Stephen Weatherly and Deshaun Bauer, that the team cut uh, Brian Robinson and moved on from him, even though I thought he's, still looked like he had it in training camp. I mean, so, you know, the, the defense was an area where I had initially gone into training camp saying, man, if anybody gets hurt in any position, that they are in a lot of trouble. But now I look at it, especially with, you know, Holton Hill makes the roster. Mike Hughes has looked really, really good and might start in week one here. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he never gave the job back. Yep. Um, so, You know, this is a defense with way more depth than I think that they had in 2016, and then they survived last year without having to use it a whole lot. But um, now I think that they're just in better shape to handle any of those injuries. And I was going to say from the report that came out, Collar, on Wednesday, is there any concerns there? I saw Reef was on with a foot injury and did not take part in all the practice but did some work on Wednesday. Xavier Rhodes back on it again, hamstring, and he took part in a portion of practice. Yeah, I mean, early in the week, I never take it too seriously. It's always hard to figure out because if I start – you know, if you start reacting to, oh, this guy was limited in practice, yeah. and then he's just a, a full go the next day, and especially with veterans. I mean, yep. if you're going into week one and it's Riley Reef and he has any sort of ding or cut, 
you're going to give him a limited practice day because he's been in the NFL for as long as he has. So uh, I, I would say, though, that you know Riley Reef is a guy that is on my radar for this year because he struggled last year in the second half of the season when he got dinged up. Uh, I thought he was very, very good in the first five weeks and then was not after that uh, when he was hurt. Mm-hmm. And if he battles injuries at that left tackle position, uh, man, this offensive line could really, really be in trouble. But, I mean, if he plays like he had in uh, Detroit before and in the first five weeks of last year, then he might be able to anchor them and hold them up even though it's not a perfect offensive line. Football! Football, yeah! Football! All right, Kyle. Get back to football. I am almost pulling into the facility of football right now. Oh, my now. gosh. You're there? You're at the Palace? I am the at Church the Church of Football? Performance Center of Performance. Oh, my gosh. Talk to you later. Right, bye, bye. Matthew Collar always does great stuff. Check out his latest opus, which, we're not kidding you, is a really, really good read and involves his bunch formation guru. So uh, 1500ESPN.com is the place to check that out. Uh, James Murphy, what do you have coming up for us in stuff that we should know about? Well, one MOB team must not have been listening to the show last week because they straight up ignored our advice. All right, we'll hear that next. Twin City sports fans are chanting for right now. Mackie and Judd continue with stuff you should know about. It's another line change on Mackie and Judd. It's now Judd and Manny Hill and James Murphy, who's actually been here the entire show. What's up, boys? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm out of breath. You know, I could listen to Matthew Collar just break down He's great. football He's real. I'm 24 just, hours a day. I'm not, be, I'm not no, joking. It's I, I would not ask that of him because I mean the guy worked the guy is a maniac when it comes to just breaking down football but yep he's it, it, it's it's great it's but great he has bunch formation guys that's my favorite that's, that's fantastic he's got people he's got people in the business <laughs> to tell him about bunch formation <laughs> All right, Murph, what do you got for us? Well, first, we're not going to get caught in a change and give up a breakaway, are we? Like, that's not... We, we're better defenders than that, right? Oh, I think it's done. I think I think we got scored on quite a Jeez. while ago. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah. It was uh, It was yesterday that the uh, Los Angeles Angels PR announced that Phenom, Phenom pitcher Shohei Otani suffered new damage uh, to his UCL after his start in Houston on Sunday, but that didn't stop him uh, stop them from putting him into the starting lineup as the designated hitter last night. Here's one that he crushes into right field. This ball is out by the wall and out there in right field. That ball looks like it's going to get out of here. It does. The right fielder, Mazzara, jumped up. He's a big guy, but he couldn't come up with it. Otani has had a two-homer night, four hits in this ball game. He's had three homers the last two games here in Arlington. And that two-run shot ups the Angels' lead to 9-2. to two. So four-hit game for Otani, two home runs after being announced that he'd probably need Tommy John surgery. Just a really, really strange series of events in the last couple of weeks for the Angels pitcher. Well, that, that Angels broadcaster sounded like he was in a tough angle trying to trying to find out where that right, ball yeah. was. Leave, I, think it was I think it was because it was hit so high. It was hit so high. Yeah, yeah I, I saw the high. What are they doing, night. though? <laughs> I like, I don't understand yeah. this now. Now, so we knew that his UCL was an issue. 
But they brought him back to pitch. In September when it didn't matter. Yeah, and then, okay, so that seems odd and probably dumb. And now he is, it, bas- it sounds like it's basically busted loose, so he needs the surgery but then you're playing him. Then I, I'm very, I'm very confused. I was so, shocked to see him playing last night, and I know that the story is he had a big game. But I don't get the point of this entire thing. And by the way, supposedly the Angels still put a premium on him as a pitcher. So I'm don't get it. So did he? Did he DH last night? Yeah, he yesterday? DH. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought because because I know he can play in the outfield too, right? Is that is that the thing too? But, can... but he hasn't been. No, okay. he, he his hasn't. Whole, his whole thing was he was going to DH and pitch. Okay, but I don't the I don't understand. I I don't get what they're doing. I I don't understand why you would sign a guy for this for you know who is this in demand. Why you deem him to be his future is a pitcher and yet you allow him to come back as Murph said in September. The whole thing is just really an odd story. Le'Veon Bell is one of the most intelligent young players in this league. From very from the very beginning, we explained to him that our job is to make him make informed, help him make informed business decisions. So, look, don't have a conversation with Le'Veon and expect him to forget what you say because everything you tell him, he's going to remember it and be able to regurgitate it to you years later. He understands the business concerns and consequences of the decisions he's made. He's as far as his mental makeup, he want nothing more than to join his teammates and go about the mission of winning a Super Bowl in uh, Pittsburgh. But then there's the business reality that he's forced to contend with. And it's a difficult decision to make, but on balance, right, it's the right decision to make. That was Adisa Bikari, the agent for Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell. We'll get into more of this later in the show, but Steelers players actually have a surprising reaction to Bell and his decision to carry his holdout into the regular season. Bell, by the way, not expected to play in the Steelers season opener against Cleveland on Sunday. Yeah, we we will uh, uh, talk about this more uh, shortly, and it is this is just another blow to a Players Association and a league that doesn't get it. In more uh, holdout news, though, another pro, another all-pro decided to end his holdout yesterday. He actually plans on reporting to the Seahawks today. You know, he has been on this holdout as he uh, has illustrated not been happy with his situation with the Seahawks. From the beginning, this has not been so much about money for Earl Thomas, although obviously it would be nice to have a little bit more in comparison to what Eric uh, Barry is making at $13 million a year. His contract is at $10 million a year. But for him, he has told me it's been about principle and respect of his value. Do you guys know that Earl Thomas is younger than Harrison Smith? Not until you told me yesterday. Yeah. I had no clue. I told it to Reavers yesterday, too, and he was like, what? Oh, I thought he was 33 yeah. or 34. Yeah, because it seems like with all the injuries yes. and he's been banged up and all this stuff, you would think, gosh, Earl Thomas has got to be getting up there in age and everything. Then you look up, he's... He's three months younger than Harrison Smith. I was shocked. Yeah. I, I at first I was at first you said you're not going to believe how young he is, and I thought, well, he's 32 or so, and you know. And then you said that, and I said, he's no, 29. No way. That's. Do you think it's principle? Do you think it's money, or do you think it's a, it's more a combination of money? And he knows that that Seattle picked apart that defense to a point where if you go to if he goes to a good team, he's got got a chance to win. I don't see, and there's. There's folks that d- disagree with this. I don't see any way that Seattle in 2018 is that good. 
I think I Russell Wilson will win you some games, but I don't see this team to me is really going to take a step back. They are, and and with Earl Thomas too. Remember, he had the he had the leg injury a couple. I think it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it put him out for the season. And there was he posted on his Instagram or his Twitter or something like that that he was maybe thinking about retiring yeah, and everybody. That. Yeah, and so which is why I thought he was seventy two years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's Farvian. I mean, it's uh, they've picked apart that defense. Got, they've broken it up. I've got that. an honest question. Mm-hmm. Do did were we all taken by surprise by his age in part because his first name Earl sounds Earl. like Earl sounds like Earl an old is guy. kind of an older guy's name. Earl yeah. does not sound like a twenty nine year old guy. Like Carl <laughs> in Hard Knocks. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Same yeah. Thing. But like you know Harrison Smith, ah, vibrant young man Harrison. We call him Harry. Earl. I name you Earl. I'm thinking to myself, you're an old soul. I think I think it's partially based on the first. <laughs> Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball. I'm gonna get phone calls. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Tonight, when they talk about the greatest team in the history of the sport, make sure it's your team. If you have only one hand. Don't just watch football. Play at the highest level. And if you're a girl from Compton, don't just become a tennis player. Become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. So that was a portion of the two-minute Nike commercial. I'm that calling in right now. It's <laughs> voiced by Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Nike announced that the ad will debut, as Judd said, during tonight's NBC NFL broadcast. Uh, pretty cool for a commercial. Have you had a chance to see it, either of you guys? Uh, no, I have not. Wa- I have not watched it yet. It's um, it's it's pretty. I was cool. actually I was actually going to wait until watch it, like when it actually like premiered on the broadcast tonight on the football broadcast tonight. But uh, I, you know. I, I've said it for a couple of years that Colin Kaepernick does not need football because he can have an impact, a positive impact on so many people um, in other ways. And he can use what he accomplished in football as, as sort of a platform to speak out on things that need to be talked about. And there are people out there that don't like it. But the reality is, is it is what it is. And there are things that need to be talked about and Yep. There are people that don't want to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about. And, and so and I, I salute him. By the way, too, I think we all would agree that his initial approach had some flaws, mm-hmm. had some definite flaws. Definitely. But I find it humorous then that there's a certain group who says, well, because his initial approach had some flaws, he should be dismissed. If yeah. you if you did that to people, we would listen to nobody. And and all like if you were to say, well, you had some flaws in your logic and or your approach, then we listen to nobody. Like yeah. you, like who is the last person on this planet who didn't have some flaws in their approach? And the fact that we've over the last two years now since this first came about, the fact that we've, for the most part as a society, have completely lost the original message behind. Why he was doing what he was doing? Oh, it's gone. Because now we're debating other things, and it's politics have gotten involved, and all this other stuff. So, you know, well, uh, well, his his original intent was then taken by politicians and shifted to platforms. Yep. And and unfortunately, unfortunately, I think what happens then is 
there's certain people that hear that hear their favorite politicians and they're like, oh, oh, he or she is right. So instead of being like, oh, no, no, that was never the intent. And, and Kaepernick did have flaws. Mm-hmm. But I'll go back to what I said. Who's the last person who didn't have flaws? Yep. Everyone has had flaws in approach. The question is, can you cut through those flaws to get to the message and appreciate it? You might not even agree with it, but just appreciate what they're trying to say. <laughs> by the way, I've uh, referenced in, in that Full clip. Swinging, by the way. Reference in that clip. Oh, thanks. Six five one six four six eight two five. Don't do that. His name, Don't is, Murph. Do. His name is Murph. Say say hi. <laughs> Reference in that commercial was uh, LeBron James, Serena Williams, and Shaquem Griffin. Yep. Who, by the way, Pete Carroll announced will be starting for the Seahawks Week One. Pretty hmm. cool story that, there. That's, that's an awesome cool. story. Awesome story. Do, do we got one more? Yeah, we do, actually. Uh, in his presser yesterday, P.J. Fleck previewed the Gophers' matchup with Fresno State. He was very complimentary of the Bulldogs, comparing him to comparing them to his third or fourth year at Western Michigan. He said they have talent which is on par with the Big Ten. Is this just P.J. spinning and the Gophers are favored currently by two points at home against the Bulldogs? P.J. Fleck, all due respect to him, called New Mexico State a dangerous football team. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, this is all just, he he's just trying to keep, I think, just trying to keep his fo- his own football team level-headed and not allowing their, what they did last week to the Aggies to sort of come into this Fresno State game and be overconfident and then get blown out of out of the stadium. So. I think Fresno wins. Yeah? I think Fresno, Fresno's a well-coached, they're a good team, their QB is back. Um, but I'm not going to buy into the fact that Fleck basically said this is a combination of the 27 Yankees, the 67 Packers, <laughs> and the mid-70 Steelers. I think he's going a little bit far there. But this is going to be a tough game, and I, I you know, that New Mexico State game to me told, tells you nothing. It, no, it gave you nothing. absolutely no in- indication of where that team is. So I think the Gophers lose this game. They have Big Ten talent, Judd. Just ask PJ. Well, I mean, yeah, but they ain't Ohio State. Their I mean, combination, Ohio State, Michigan yeah, State. exactly yeah. right. Um, all right, we are going to uh, take a break. It's Mackie and Judd, which right now is Judd and Manny. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios, and when we come back, we have to give you a Byron Buxton update because it only gets worse. All right, Mackie and Judd, uh, for the remainder of today's program, is Judd and Manny. James Murphy uh, producing today, of course. Um, all right, so the latest in the Byron Buxton saga, Manny Hill, okay, which n- never seems to end now. And this this one to me is I've got questions about. Uh, Mike Berardino tweeted before last night's debacle. I don't know if you saw that, but I actually stayed up for way too much of that <laughs> horse bleep baseball game. Uh, Mike Berardino tweeted that. Uh, Molitor said that he has yet to talk to Buxton at this point. So here's my question. Who's talked to him so far? Because, has anybody said anything? Because my, my understanding is he wasn't necessarily um, uh, anxious to take their phone calls over the weekend. He was. It was clearly related to him that he was being sent home and that he was not going to be uh, called up here. So that was sent because he left the team. And Rochester season came to an end on Monday. But at this point in time, I would just love to know what's going on here. Like this is yeah. your this is still a guy that I think you have plans for. 
This is a guy who you um, who you think there's still a chance that he could be, if not a star player, which might be putting it too much at this point, a very productive player. What's going on here? Like this, this has become a circus. Yeah, and it's I don't I don't I am I am what's the word? Bewildered is a fair word. I am extremely bewildered by what the plan is. And if this is the plan, it seems very dysfunctional to me. It almost feels like Byron Buxton is a kid and the organization is his parent and he's done he did something wrong like he came home from school with a bad grade, he failed a test. He got a, he got an F on a test or something and it it almost feels like they they're sending, you know, go to your room, you're 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 grounded and go to your room. You're not getting dinner tonight because you came home. You had a you had yeah. a, you took a test at school today and you came home and you got you got an F on your test. Mm-hmm. And now now you're grounded for a week. And tomorrow, you know, we'll 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 talk about it tomorrow. We'll talk to you about it tomorrow. Yeah, Berardino. It's just it's just really weird. I'm with you. It's yeah. it's really 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 strange. Uh, Berardino's exact tweet um, last night is that Molitor still hasn't had a chance to call Buxton, but still intends to do so. Has not been advised against it, considering the potential grievance that can be filed against the Twins by the Buxton camp. But at this point, this has now gone from being. Strange and and seeming silly and short sighted and not, like not smart move to being complete and utter mismanagement. Yeah, I. But I mean, I, 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 there's got to be more. There's has to be. There has, there has to, to be, be another to step now that we're missing. Yeah, there, there well, has to be a step because Byron Buxton, as far as I know, is really well liked mm-hmm. by his teammates. Really and. Paul Molitor, of all people, from all accounts, he works hard too. It's yeah. just been it's just been a struggle for him to stay healthy and so. What's to the step? So, so to your point about being the child who's being punished, what are we? What's the step here we're missing? What's, well, and I mean, I, I understand. And to build off of that, yeah. what what's next? Right. What 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 are? Okay, you're 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 shutting him down for the year. You didn't call him up for this month. Okay, fine. What is the plan? Yeah. What is the plan? Is the plan to just let him sit and stew the entire winter and just say, right. hey, see you in Fort Myers? Or are they – what is the plan? Well, what 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 is – That's a very good – If he's not going to play yes. and, okay, you're doing – okay, are you doing it for service time or whatever? Or do you just want him to – okay, but what is the plan? What – what do you see for Byron Buxton and what's now next? going and forward? And like, what's what, next? What is next? Immediately, and and listen, the service time thing, I don't agree with in this case at all. I don't either. But you know, if you're the team, you know that that is going to alienate the player. But now it's like you're intent on alienating him even more so. And we heard that Levine basically say in so many words, like. We need to repair this relationship now that we've possibly damaged the relationship between the organization and this player. Now we need to re- we got to repair that. Okay, well, how do you repair that? The Nash- because right now you're not talking to him. No, I know. It's completely bizarre. <laughs> you're not talking to him. So what is what is the plan? 
National Football League players have done it again, and and this one is positively goofy, and it speaks to why the owners always win. We'll discuss.